You're listening to Radio Free Philosophy. Welcome to Radio Free Philosophy. My name is Kevin Brown. And I'm Bob Uricule. And today we're going to tackle the philosophies of Hegel and Marx, two very different characters, but both certainly uh, influenced by the person we talked about last time, Immanuel Kant. Yeah, Immanuel Kant is stressing reason and is very hopeful about humanity arriving at the same goal through reason. And the people we're going to look at now take uh, a dynamic approach to philosophy. Uh, it's been called a waltz. It's called dialectics. And in order to understand Marx, we have to go to Hegel first, because Marx learned from Hegel. And Hegel's basic idea that is, was that, that reality is spiritual. In fact, he used the German word geist, and we get our English word ghost from that. That'll give you some idea of where he's going. That, that reality in its very heart is spirit not matter, and that it's spirit unfolding and creating itself, and sometimes making left turns when it should have made a right turn, and it corrects itself. And it's called the philosophy of dialectics, but it's all spirit. So this has taken us backwards a little in terms of our history, or at least back uh, to something we've seen before, but maybe in a different approach this time because we've talked about idealism before mm -hmm. with Barclay and then it seemed like we moved one step beyond that and now we're back but it's certainly in a different form this time with a recognition of Kant's uh, input into philosophy and what I s suspect that many people who read the philosophy of history for the first time find confusing is this seeming circle that we keep going in because we talked about materialism then we talked about idealism now we hear, have Hegel again talking about idealism influencing a philosopher who was an avowed materialist Marx uh, so it seems like these two um, waltz is a very interesting way of putting it because these two metaphysical theories seem to almost uh, uh, play off each other hand in glove they do they do and there's a progression, because from the idealists uh, arriving at conclusions like Hume, saying that we really can't know anything, um, for sure, um, and Kant trying to correct that by saying, wait, there are universal ideas. There's still idealists, in some sense, but now we see Hegel taking the work of the idealists and Kant and seeing reason everywhere and thinking that that must be completely spiritual and that history must have a pattern it must have a goal and that's the process of, of spirit unfolding and discovering itself and this almost seems to me to take us back to a notion that had for many centuries gotten lost in philosophy the notion of teleology that things have a reason for being and Hegel seems to emphasize this writ large because his point is that history is an unfolding of a particular purpose or goal, which is what he refers to as absolute spirit. And it, there's an interesting way of looking at the history of philosophy by using Hegel's idea of 
thesis, antithesis, synthesis, because you can look at, for instance, the debate between Plato and Aristotle as thesis and antithesis, and then those resolve into the higher synthesis of scholastic philosophy, which then becomes, as Hegel would put it, the thesis to be uh, uh, distinguished from a new antithesis, which maybe is the philosophy of Descartes, which then gets resolved into a higher synthesis. Uh, maybe that be becomes the philosophy of Kant, let's say. I don't know exactly how that's, Hegel that's would, well put. Would, would put it, but, but there's a progression, and it seems like we're moving towards something. Sure. Hegel is, um, is anxious to protect the, the idea of change in philosophy. Because previously, idealism could have led you to believe that there's a, an objective reality out there, an objective truth that must be discovered, and that it always stays the same. But with Hegel, there's this introdu introduction of change in absolute spirit itself, and that it's always changing. And he sees the major um, movements before his lifetime and during his lifetime as summing up this, this change. And, and he sees reality changing for the better. He sees um, the rise of capitalism. He sees the rise of nationalism. And he thinks it's a great idea. And of course he thinks that uh, absolute spirit is purifying Christianity, even through the Reformation, and that the result was the, was the Protestantism, Protestantism that he grew up with. And he thought that was just fine. And, but that one day it would be opposed by an antithesis and antithesis and a new synthesis would result. So it's that threefold pattern of absolute spirit presenting a thesis, the state of affairs, the state of the question, and then being opposed by another idea, the anti-thesis or antithesis, and then the resultant, um, the result of all that is the synthesis, bringing together both the thesis and the antithesis. I know it seems a bit confusing, but it plays out. He sees it. He's, he imposes that pattern everywhere. He, see, he sees being everything that is as a, an original thesis, and that's opposed by non-being or nothingness. And when these two clash, the result is becoming. So it's a very dynamic process. Very. Yeah, and it's interesting that we've talked many times uh, here before about the power of ideas and the influence of ideas and the dynamism of ideas. Certainly Hegel seems to me to embody all of that because he's looking uh, specifically with an eye towards seeing the unfolding of an idea throughout history. I mean, that's literally what uh, is at the core of his absolute idealism, that, that there's an idea, absolute spirit, that's unfolding throughout history. And what a time to see this in the 19th century because, as you say, there's lots of changes going on. It's a very dynamic century. Uh, and I suspect that uh, that part of... Hegel's philosophy is influenced by the dynamism of history, even as Hegel is trying to explain this dynamism in, in a systematic way. It's not just random changes that are occurring. There's a purpose, a, 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 a goal towards which everything is going, a telos, as the Greeks would have put it. Yes, but and a purpose, yeah. And Hegel is not a disembodied spirit. He's a German thinker. He's proud to be a German. And he looks with disdain on someone like Descartes, who could imagine himself as mind and, and then body, um, but just like abstracted from the culture around him. It was easy for Descartes to get up and move from France to Sweden. 
because he was just uh, like a mind, uh, not affected by culture at all. Hegel said that's not that's not a realistic way of looking at human beings. We're all acculturated. We all have cultural, intellectual roots. Um, we're influenced by our families, by the values of our, our society. And he said there's no such thing as pure thought. Thought is always connected. And um, it's, it's connected to where you were born and raised, how you were educated. So this makes for um, like nationalism being a favorable thing in Hegel's philosophy. And Protestantism is a favorable standpoint. He thinks it's like the best of all possible worlds. It's only getting better for Hegel. And so this makes the point really very nicely that philosophers and their philosophies really are connected to the world they live in. I mean, we can explain a lot of Hegel's philosophy by the, the climate and the culture that he was in, just as we could have done with, uh, with Descartes. I mean, philosophers and their theories are not immune to the history around them, even as they're trying to affect or explain the history uh, of their times. And Hegel is, uh, I think, a, a really good example of that, because he's trying to do uh, a couple things in a very dynamic way mm -hmm. that philosophy, perhaps prior to Kant, certainly prior to uh, uh, Hegel, had not attempted to do, because Hegel is trying to show that there is this connection an intimate connection but between thinking and the context of thought. Descartes, as you rightly point out, wanted to take the context out. Mm -hmm. There's pure yeah. thought, pure philosophy, and that's all you need to worry about. But that seems to diminish in, in Hegel's world. Yeah, and but Hegel is acutely aware that we can sometimes become alienated from our own culture, even from ourselves. So the concept of alienation runs strongly through his writings and this will be seized upon by Marx later but um, Hegel didn't think it was a good idea to be culturally alienated or alienated from um, other people and he remember he's a, he's a practicing Christian a Protestant Christian and so he has no trouble with religion so he likes to think of uh, religion as a with very positive values and their, their religious practices are good for the soul. The irony of that, of course, is that some of the people that were most strongly influenced by Hegel were, if not neutral to religion, outright hostile Absolutely. to religion. One of, one of the uh, followers of Hegel was Ludwig Feuerbach, and Feuerbach didn't like religion at all. In fact, he thought it was religion that alienated people from themselves and their true nature. Um, he saw a lot of good in humanity, but Hegel's developing spirit um, included some mistakes. And one of those mistakes was religion. And so people became enamored of religion, and they, they projected onto gods or gods what was the best in themselves. So they saw God or the gods as compassionate, as powerful, as creative, uh, as redemptive, and they they projected this outside themselves and, and failed to see that all these qualities are in the human being, in the human spirit. So it would be like um, um, a big outdoor cinema where all these people 
are looking at this gigantic screen and everything that's good in them is being projected onto the screen and they call the screen God. So they're, they're alienated from themselves by having religion. And Marx would seize on this idea later too. Certainly Marx uh, saw religion as a definite cause of many of people's miseries, not uh, a poten potential cure for them. Uh, and again, it's, it's very ironic that, uh, that Marx was so strongly influenced by Hegel in one aspect, but not in, in, uh, in another. When you look at absolute spirit in Hegel, spirit is just the historical process of human thought toward ever greater awareness of the unity of all reality. So Hegel proposed uh, a kind of a triad in which human culture achieves its transcendental aim because the, the telos of this whole developmental process is outside of humanity. It's toward perfection of the spirit. So he saw like the, the original, the, the lowest layer of the triad was this idea of art because art is the attempt of the human spirit to represent reality, to represent natural objects. And, and so that becomes the thesis when you try to represent an absolute, uh, a natural object. And then the antithesis is in highly stylized classical art, which has its canons and rigidity. And um, this challenges just any art form. And this, the result is a clash. And, and the end result of the clash is a synthesis of romantic expression, and which Hegel sees as a very nice thing. And then this is opposed by religion. Relig religion becomes the new antithesis. And um, it goes through its own process of development. And it begins by worshiping nature. And then that's opposed by a religion of individuality, um, which uh, is, I, I guess, rev revealed religion, such as Judaism, um, with its ethical monotheism. So religion started by being nature worship, and then was corrected by an antithesis called revelational religion. And the end result, again, he, being a Protestant, said it's perfect Protestant Christianity, which unifies both nature and revelation. But then that would take uh, take us to the next level, because wherever there's a synthesis, that becomes the exactly. thesis for exactly. a new uh, dialectical process, Right. which for Hegel leads us up to the pinnacle of philosophy. Yes, he had a high respect for philosophy. The absolute spirit learns to recognize itself perfectly literal forms it rationalizes and um, it becomes consciously aware of the absolute so philosophy is in a sense higher than religion so um, the objectification of religion uh, is surpassed by the dialectical logic of reason as the ultimate structure of reality now here too there's a this this dialectical development um, and he sees the emergence of absolute idealism as a synthesis that goes beyond the dispute, that transcends the dispute between empiricism and rationalism that we've seen all along. Uh, 
Hegel sees philosophy getting better because of the clash between empiricism and, uh, and rationalism. And this raises a, a lot of wonderful uh, ideas of influences of Hegel and people whom Hegel influenced that uh, we want to talk about. But perhaps before we do that, we'll take a short little break and then return on Radio Free Philosophy. listening to Radio Free Philosophy. Well, here we are back from the break, and as we've been talking about, Hegel's view of the world is very, very historical. He believed that history itself uh, exhibits the, the growth of self-consciousness in the absolute. In other words, we are the absolute spirit developing its own consciousness. And since history follows this inevitable pattern of thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, what he calls the, the Weltgeist, the world spirit, comes to know itself. And this is expressed in philosophy. So the present age, in other words, his contemporary age, had to be the best possible world. It's, it's the highest level of achievement. And he was pretty smug about this. He, um, he thought the cultural achievements of his own time, like nationalism, romanticism, Protestantism and idealism were the culmination of everything that had gone before. In other words, he was living in a perfect world. So he was full of optimism and full of confidence in, in the possibilities of reason and the enlightenment. He just thought the world was going, getting better and better. Now, to be consistent, though, he would have had to conceded two points. Number one, that some of the seeds of his age were present earlier in history because they had to have come from, from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And he would have also had to concede that uh, history would progress beyond his age, which I guess wouldn't have made him feel bad if things were getting better and better. The notion of progress, uh, certainly a very 19th century notion. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very strange to, to consider that really before the 19th century, the notion of progress wasn't, wasn't a, a concept that people talked about too much. Or thought about too much the idea that uh, my children's lives will be better than mine uh, mm -hmm. the world is getting better things are progressing my standard of living will improve next year is really all a 19th century um, uh, sort of way of looking at things sure although as you said the seeds of that idea of progress were planted long before in um, I guess what you call Judaism in the book of Genesis um, all the way to the apocaly apocalyptic literature, like the book of Daniel, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, 
where the idea that God created a world and was bringing it to a salvific event when the end of the world would come with God's final intervention in the world. Now, Christianity took that one over and saw um, the Jewish beginning as the beginning of a salvation history that would culminate with a final judgment. Um, but the world would be getting better, be, would be going toward God. Sure. And, and, that, and that idea comes into German Protestantism, and it becomes the, like the Protestant ethic and uh, was carried into this country, the idea of progress. Certainly. Better things for better living, right? Certainly. <laughs> and uh, you could also find the roots of this, I think, in, in Plato's philosophy as well, the idea of art uh, being inherently inferior to philosophy because art is just a representation of something that philosophy allows us to approach through reason. Right. Uh, I even see influences uh, of Spinoza talking about the notion that everything is is an expression of uh, an absolute reality that has different attributes, of which we can see a few, but not the infinite number of attributes that truly exist. Sure, Spinoza troubles many of his contemporaries and his co-religionists, because he was Jewish, by saying that the world is God. And that's basically almost what, what uh, um, that Hegel is saying, that it's all one, one spirit, and we just participate in that spirit. And as you say, it sounds very much like Spinoza. But we're likely to misinterpret Hegel if we think that he's referring to absolute spirit as a notion of a personal no, deity. not at all. Right? Mm -hmm. nope. And this is the point of confusion that we've seen uh, throughout philosophy uh, with regard to Plato's form of the good, Aristotle's prime mover, uh, Spinoza's notion of one reality, and now Hegel's notion of absolute spirit have a tinge of what we would call the divine mm -hmm. or concept, but certainly not at all like the concept of Christian or Jewish God. Not at all. No, it's far beyond that. But Hegel's optimism just fit in with the times perfectly because, again, in the 18th century and 19th century, when he lived, um, the world was considered as, as getting better. Uh, the church had been purified in the Reformation. Uh, nation states were beginning to arise. Um, Consciousness of culture. And the Industrial Revolution, and the Industrial Revolution is, a is a full a, tilt. An important right influence. Uh, the rise of capitalism. Certainly on the one hand, you can see improvement there, but not everybody saw improvements in, in, in the Industrial Revolution. Some people saw that it was making the gap between rich and poor mm -hmm. uh, much worse, uh, and the poor were not simply losing ground to the rich, they were losing ground in any absolute sense. And this bothered uh, uh, Marx in particular. Sure. So shall we transition to Marx and talk about him? Sure. Um, it's one w one thing to be, I hate to use the word, ivory tower uh, academic, but Hegel was that. He led a very comfortable life. He was a professor, professor in four different German universities. He never wanted for anything. He did see the world as getting better. Uh, his life got better and better every year. Uh, the, all the discoveries the, uh, of the new world and all kinds of wealth and stories being brought in the world was getting better. Sure it would be for a university professor. But there were people who studied Hegel's philosophy who didn't live as well as he did. And they saw a lot of misery around them. And they saw, for example, religion as being a contributing factor to that misery. That people gave to the church when they should have been taking care of themselves. That people hoped for a, a better life in the hereafter when they should be making a better life for themselves now. 
uh, a kind of pie-in-the-sky mentality. And certainly, the positive things that Hegel saw had negative effects on society. Um, people were used as just mere pawns in the manufacturing process during the Industrial Revolution. Uh, society was changing from an agrarian, um, almost bucolic life to a, a heavily industrialized urban life with chaotic conditions and disease and poverty and alcoholism uh, present everywhere. People like Marx saw this and they didn't, they didn't generate the same kind of enthusiasm or optimism for this process that Hegel did. But one thing Marx could be potentially enthusiastic about is that if Hegel were correct, uh, the age would progress to a higher level that Marx aspired to, which was the age when the nation-state would break down and we would uh, evolve to uh, a socialist uh, yes. arrangement. Yes. And let's look at that. First, we probably ought to see that Marx kind of turned Hegel inside and out. He accepted his dialectic. He accepted um, the, a modicum of optimism that society is getting better. But society has to go through some almost death throes before it ever gets better. So accepting the dialectical nature of reality, Marx excludes from this that there is any such thing as spirit. Marx had no use for religion. He, he bought into Feuerbach that religion just tends to project onto a, um, a fictive reality the best parts of the human spirit. And so he will, he will famously call religion the opium of the people. So once he gets rid of religion and spirit, he's got nothing left but matter, the world he sees around him. So his philosophy is going to be called dialectical materialism. So in Marx, it's not just it's not a, a spirit that's evolving. It's a material world that has no such thing as spirit, but is endowed with consciousness and um, it becomes more and more aware of the miserable state of affairs and tries to get better. So, and, go ahead. And that put, puts me in mind of another influential figure in this story, which certainly uh, is relevant to what Marx is doing with Hegel's philosophy, and that is Charles Darwin. Mm -hmm. Because Darwin is very progressive in a similar sense that, uh, that nature is dynamic and evolution is a process uh, filled with change and Marx is taking the idea that that can occur and be explained in purely naturalistic terms, mm -hmm. purely materialistic terms, yes. and wedding it to Hegel's notion of the dialectical process and coming up with some pretty interesting conclusions to say the least. Uh, I mean if you look in nature you see that the struggle for resources is always present and it always involves conflict and Marx essentially recognized that the same thing was going on in human history. There's this um, uh, almost inevitable struggle for resources and it involves conflict and there's no way around that. That's an integral part of the history of, uh, of these developments and so if socialism is going to occur it will occur as a result of violent conflict. Mm -hmm. Yes, violent conflict and social change and where Hegel saw this magnificent absolute spirit unfolding itself and becoming more and more aware of itself through human uh, expressions and thought. 
um, Marx had a much more bleak view of the evolutionary process. He saw humankind as evolving through conflict and struggle from a state of pure nature of um, kind of a, a gentle farming society into enslavement as the cities arose and needed builders and so um, you have this thesis antithesis again and then a new synthesis arises from slavery to um, feudal lords and, and serfs and peasants and then these two powers clash into city life in the Middle Ages and city life has its is a thesis now its new antithesis is the, the guilds and these result in a, um, a kind of a middle class the new synthesis is going to be entrepreneurs and they're going to be opposed by the proletariat all the workers and the, the result will be a, a terrible clash that can only result in a new synthesis and that will be the classless state a state of pure communism where everyone gives as they're able and everyone receives as they need so once again we can see how starting with what seems to be a fairly esoteric subject the notion of idealism leads us to the notion that ideas are very powerful and influential things uh, Hegel certainly had a powerful influence on Marx and Marx's writings had a powerful influence on others as well who directly changed the course of history uh, it's interesting that Marx himself did not do anything with his writings except uh, study them and, and write but uh, Lenin and others put it into practice and so once again we see that philosophy is continually relevant to to the real world around us and if anything can come out of these discussions that we have every week hopefully it will be that the notion that philosophy is powerful and relevant and interesting you're here and so we'll take on another interesting subject next week on radio free philosophy how much longer is this going on I mean, it's just rolling on and on and on, Sonny. Now, don't you, it's a good, simple question. Why don't you say, what year did Cardinal Richelieu die? 1642. That's the sort of interchange we should be having, not these strange, rambling explorations of your unconscious. Now, come along, Sonny.